Hello and welcome to the Funds Fanatic Show. I'm thrilled to be joined on the podcast today by Lion Trust Peter Michaelis and Simon Clements, who together run the firm's rapidly growing £15 billion range of sustainable funds. With ESG and concurrent concerns about greenwashing remaining all the rage, I'm looking forward to hearing from Simon and Peter what the future of investing looks like, and indeed whether investors really can continue to do well by doing good as value stocks and sectors like oil and gas start to enjoy a stronger run. Peter, Simon, welcome. Hi, Jeremy. Thanks for having us. Fantastic. Well, thank, thanks very much for, for coming on the podcast today. Um, I suppose let, let's start with, with you, Peter. First things first, can you, can you tell us a bit more about what you do and how long you've been doing it? Uh, okay, yeah, I've been managing sustainable investment funds uh, for more than 20 years now. Um, and, uh, you know, that's always, to me, it was the only style of investment I've ever um, uh, ever been involved in. And to me, it's, I've always been attracted by the idea that it, it just seems to make sense. Uh, the idea that uh, companies which are giving us more of the, the good stuff uh, that we want more of uh, will do better longer term. Uh, and so, so day to day, I manage the team. Uh, I'm also lead manager on our multi-asset funds and our UK strategies. Excellent. Well, that's interesting to hear. You've only ever worked on sustainable funds. How, how about you, you Simon? How, what's your what's your background, and how did you come to this? Yeah, so I've been um, managing the funds now since. Um, yeah, the, the end of 2010. So, so managing the funds like going on 12 years. I've been on the team since 2009. So, so previous to that, I actually ran global thematic funds um, alongside um, alongside Peter at, at Aviva Investor. So, I, I you know, I, I, I was really interested in um, you know the you know running uh, kind of sustainable equities. Um, it's something that kind of always appealed to me, and um, you know, we're, we're, you know, I was offered the, the chance to come and work work for Peter and, and, and run the global funds. It was a, it was a chance that I kind of jumped at. Excellent. And just just to to be clear, um, the sustainable future funds have a bit of an interesting history. Of course, you, you're at Lion Trust now, but the funds have uh, have kind of mo- moved around a couple of times. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, the the badge over the top has has changed uh, a couple of times, but I think what's important is that the, the team running them and the philosophy and the proposition has remained constant yeah. for the last twenty one years. Okay, thank you. Now, uh, I think there are fourteen sustainable future funds, and as you said, as you said, there are equity funds, which which you run, also fixed income funds and multi asset funds, balancing both. Now, we can't possibly cover all of that today, so I think we're gonna. If it's all right, if we can speak mostly to the Sustainable Future Global Growth Fund, so that's that's your your process, which looks at global equities, and then the UK Growth Fund. Maybe that will give us a more manageable universe to look at. But just just first thing on that, am I right in saying so, Peter? You you look more at the UK equities, and, and Simon, you look more at the global equities. That's right. Yeah, but they have they have, and all of our strategies have the same process underpinning them. Yeah. Okay. And. And so, uh, Simon, I, I mentioned in, in the intro this word e, or this phrase ESG, environment, social and governance criteria. We hear this term constantly today. Um, am I right in saying that when you guys, you know, as you've been building this process, that, that certainly wasn't always the case? 
Yeah, I mean, I, you know, we, we, you know, as a team, we've been, we were kind of one of the, the, the earliest established, um, you know, sustainability teams, um, you know, kind of doing this. So, so when we first started managing the money, it definitely wasn't kind of mainstream. It was definitely more niche. Um, I think we always believed that, um, you know, there, there was always a huge appeal to, to investors of, you know, for, 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 you know, products that, you know, take these kind of factors into account. Um, we always felt that these factors were were important in terms of you know the value of companies, and we felt felt that the kind of as we kind of you know as the, as the the world changes and the economy changes to become more sustainable over time, that these kind of factors would become more and more important. And, and you know we 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 have been pleased that you know that that has played out. It's played out in terms of driving performance of the funds, which you know if you look at our fund performance over the long term, it's very very good. But also um, in yeah. terms of you know investor interest and investor demand, which has been reflected by you know the, the, the kind of growth in, in assets in in the last kind of five five years or so yeah and you you, you mentioned you're, you're one of the, the first teams to really start looking at this area on, on a large scale what what, what what have been some of the main things you've, you've learned about sustainable investing in the last 10 years would you say Simon? yeah i mean i think that um you know well We've learned that, as with kind of the adoption of a lot of things, you know, some things can, you know, the, the kind of rap, the adoption, you know, think things happen much more rapidly than you kind of think they they do. So things don't happen in a linear fashion. Mm-hmm. They can go from, you know, being appearing not to be of, of much interest to all of a sudden being you know, kind of, you know, of huge interest. And we, we kind of find that with anything kind of disruptive and, you know, it's, you know a lot of the technology we invest in as well. So... Um, you know, I think that sometimes investors and, and like, like to thinking kind of, you know, things happen like slowly and in a linear, linear way, but actually things can happen slowly, slowly, then very, very quickly. Um, and we, we found that, yeah. we, you know, we find that, as I say, in things we, we look at, whether that be the adoption of things like renewable energy, but also, you know, it's happened within the kind of idea of, um, you know, interest and importance uh, uh, placed on ESG factors within investing, but also, you know, sustainable investment products and, and assets. And, you know, uh, that's kind of, you know, what we've noticed. And I don't, I don't want to say we were surprised, but, you know, um, you know, I think that, you know, the, the pace at which the interest kind of accelerated was, was you know, was was something that that um, you know we probably you, we were probably maybe slightly surprised by, but you know obviously pl- pleasantly surprised. <laughs> well, on that note, Peter, I mean this ubiquitous capsule ESG is it useful, or, or do you think it's so broad and ill-defined that it kind of helps greenwashing, help, helps these kind of fake sustainability approaches in some in some senses? Uh, yeah. Yes. I mean, I think there, there is a risk that because it's very easy to just sort of say we do ESG uh, and and then not change anything underneath. There is certainly the risk. Um, so on the one hand, there is the risk that you know people just dust it on like a little bit of parmesan, um, right, on top of the pasta. Uh, you know, the, the but it's not it's not the kind of whole meal that people are getting. So we. Yeah, we think that it's it's really important um, for investment managers to be absolutely clear about how they're integrating sustainability or ESG into the way they manage their their assets. Yeah. But also, uh, I'm afraid uh, buyers, you know, in, in, investors in their funds need to just sort of look under the bonnet a bit more. Okay. Yeah. But on the other hand, it's great. It's great that that awareness is is out there because. 
there have certainly been periods in, in my career when you would talk about sustainability or environmental issues and you know you were alone in, in would a switch on. with some tumbleweed rolling through it so <laughs> so it has it has really um kind of changed in terms of awareness but you can understand there are successful asset managers who've you know built up large large assets under management and they're suddenly confronted with this oh my god we've got to do something uh, with ESG let's do the minimum we can to get away with it yeah and, and I think that that's what you know uh, our that's what you see industry has to be very clear about in, in terms of being as transparent as possible about how sustainability is being used yeah well st staying with you Peter it, it's fair to say not not everyone's jumping on the bandwagon your, your fellow fund manager Terry Smith recently said that Unilever, so a company that you also hold, had lost the plot when it comes to sustainability. Uh, I, I think particularly memorably, he said they'd been trying to define a purpose for Hellman's Mayo, which, you know, evinced some kind of confusion. I, I guess you think differently about that. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a good catchphrase, but we do, we do think differently. I mean, our, our, our broad idea, our macro view is that our um, our economies and societies progress. You know, they progress to become more efficient in their use of resources, um, deliver a healthier outcome to, to society, better quality of life, and become more resilient. And you can see that over over hundreds of years. Uh, you know, child mortality is a statistic we talk about where at the turn of the 20th century, if you had a kid, it had a one in five chance of making it to its, to its fifth birthday in the UK. I mean, so tragic odds. Now it's more like one in 300, you know, a huge improvement. So the general rule that we believe is that if you're a business which is offering a product, which is helping to make our, our, our lives better uh, and to improve, to reduce our environmental impact, that all other things being equal, we'll see stronger growth in demand. And because it's kind of quite a novel product, it's likely to see uh, less competition, which are both great attributes for a business, um, and and we you know we back companies that are doing that, and Unilever has a very strong track record of of having done that. Uh, yeah. So, so we do see that differently, um, but but it's clear that to be successful in the consumer goods market, you've got to produce stuff that the public wants more of, and healthier foods is one of those. Okay, well. Simon, turning to you, so I suppose Peter's told us a bit there about what, what kind of companies you're, you're looking for, uh, the, these companies that are on the right side of history, we might say. Can you tell us a bit more about you know, the, the, the essence of the process? I mean, is, is, do you take quite a broad view and, and you're, you're, you're looking for these kind of big themes or, or are, are, you, are, you, are you digging into very specific criteria about exactly what it means to be a sustainable company? Yeah, we, well, we start with, you know, this this idea that, you know, the economy is becoming more sustainable. We think that we can observe that. We think that, um, and, and we believe that the economy becomes more sustainable in three different ways that we can invest behind. We believe it becomes cleaner and more efficient. We also believe it becomes healthier, provides better quality of life, and also becomes safer. Okay, and we start with that idea. And again, we're trying to look for companies that are, that are benefiting from this change to become more sustainable, but, but also kind of, you know, allowing it to happen. Okay, and we believe that these companies, you know, they're, they're on the right side of history. You know, the goods and services that they sell, you know, the world's going to want more of and more of in, in time. And um, so when you start with that idea, um, 
you know, and we have 21 different investment themes. So, you know, for instance, you know, it's a lot. Yeah, so, so but there's, you know, there's lots of things to invest on. And, and we like the fact that we've got lots of themes because, you know, we can invest in companies that, you know, make, you know, the that make that improve the energy efficiency of our economy. But we can also invest in companies that, you know, improve medical technology or, you know, you know help, help save for the future. And, and these are kind of all, you know, they're not correlated with each other. So when one's doing well, the other one's not. So we have this breadth. We're not, we're not just dependent on, you know, what one area of the market doing well, because, you know, inevitably, if you are like that, if you're very kind of, um, kind of, you know, channeled in one specific area, it's very difficult to perform well, you know, kind of broadly and, and all the time. And we love that we have this breadth and we're trying to find a little thesis, you know, within the global economy as broadly as we can around the economy becoming more sustainable. And then we, we try to, that's, that's kind of the first stage. And then we try to find the right companies and companies that, you know, from a bottom up perspective are sustainable in their own right. So not just this big picture kind of themes that they're benefiting on for, but also look at the nuts and bolts of the business, you know, how, how they manage their environmental, social governance risks, things like, you know, culture, you know, incentives within the business, you know, what does the business stand for? What, what you know, how do they treat their employees? And and when you find those two, two together and then you find companies that are actually brilliant businesses fundamentally, um, and then we look for companies that are also mispriced. Uh, and putting all those together, you know, we're trying to find, you know, within the global fund, for instance, we're trying to find, we start with thousands, we're trying to find, you know, 45, 50 stocks or companies that, you know, over a five year view, you know, we, we feel, you know, with all these little different ingredients put together can deliver performance. And that's really, you know, what, what we try to do in the kind of, you know, we feel the secret to, to our success um, over the last kind of two decades. Yeah, thanks. And, and so, Peter, I think, to tease that out a bit more, I think if, if most people heard this word sustainability and implied that to investing, they think, okay, so we're, we're going to invest in the good guys here, uh, the, the, the good corporate actors. Is that, is that right or is that a bit too simplistic a way to think about it? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're trying to narrow down the field to those companies that hit that uh, sort of sweet spot that they have as they grow. Uh, they do something positive for people on the planet. Uh, they can grow profitably in terms of the returns that they generate and their share price, we believe, will appreciate you know, taking that longer five-year, five five-year, ten-year view. Yeah. So where those things come together, uh, those are the companies that we invest behind. Okay, because there, there will be companies uh, in the portfolio that might raise some eyebrows. Uh, I mean, what one in your UK fund, that one of the biggest holding is 3i, so that's the biggest private equity group in Britain. I mean, they're, they're really at what, what you might call the sharp end of, of capitalism, right? Uh, well, I think, yeah, private equity maybe has that reputation, but 3i is, is a very different beast from that. Okay. That beast is probably the wrong, <laughs> wrong <laughs> word to use. Uh, yeah, but 3i's, uh, its very roots were after the war to invest behind industries, investment in industry. And it's focused very much on innovation, on medical technology, on kind of leaning consumer services businesses. Uh, it's, it's a very, I mean, it's always had a responsibility bedded into, responsible investment bedded into how it invests. So uh, it, it excludes certain sectors that it won't, it won't touch, like you know, arms and tobacco, etc. It's been a signatory of the PRI since you know, over 10 years. Um, uh, and so it, it, it allows us to gain access to private investments, um, which we couldn't otherwise in, invest in. 
Yeah. And what we like about 3i, if it, it, it sort of links very closely to our approach, which is there's a there's no fixed holding term. They hold things forever if necessary. And we think that that's part of the reason why private equity tends to get a bad name is because they they invest for sort of seven years and at the end they dress it up and put too much financial leverage and it's all sell off the assets, not, too much debt. Yeah. That's not the three I approach at all. No. Okay. Sure. And uh, well, I promise not to do this with, with every holding in, in your funds, but Simon, an, another uh, company that caught my eye, uh, the top holding in the Global Growth Fund, Alphabet, so the owner of Google. Now, probably like anyone listening to this, I use Google without thinking of it, thinking and lots of their other free to use products every day. But any company that, that's that big, that powerful, that hoard so much of our, our consumer data, you've got to be asking hard questions. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's true. And look, you know, Alphabet is, is a name that, um, you know, we, we, you know, we do spend a lot of time, you know, trying to trying to engage with them. We also speak to we have an advisory committee that, that helps us. Um, and and I, let me just be clear, it's, you know, Alphabet is the only one of the kind of big tech stocks that we actually invest in. So we don't invest in things like Facebook okay. and Amazon. But the reason that we feel that Alphabet is a sustainable company is if you look at the core product and services of what they do, um, it really is that kind of, it's an algorithm that collects, you know, information that's out there and makes it accessible to, to everybody. So this idea that it's a democratization of information and, you know, 85% of people that use Google do it for free. So, you know, we think it's a really important service. We think that it allows, you know, access to everybody to this information. There's no doubt whatsoever that that comes with a huge responsibility on their part. And, you know, it is a virtual, it's a monopoly based on the fact that, you know, it is obviously, um, you know, by far the, the most efficient product out there. So it really does control the market. So we spend a lot of time kind of looking at those things. You know, there's there's other parts of business. Your know, YouTube is a, is a business that they own. That's also, you know, probably at the sharper end of, of, of what we're concerned about from a sustainability perspective. Clearly, the amount of content that goes over it or the type of content that goes over it and how they kind of, you know, police that is really important, how they take responsibility for it. Um, so, you know, but, you know, also YouTube, there's a lot of positive aspects to YouTube. You know, I learned how to, you know, fix my boiler using YouTube, for instance. I don't have to get the guy around to do it. So there's lots of things to teach you to cook. So, you know, but obviously it's also slightly addictive. And, you know, anybody that's got kids knows that they love to kind of be on there. And so so there is kind of, it's balancing those aspects. So, so the other aspect, there's other aspects we really like about Alphabet. So they have this other area called Other Bet. So they actually, 10% of their net income, they actually expense every year. And that's a lot of net income. If anybody knows how much Google earns, so Alphabet earns. So, and they own things like um, Ver uh, Verily, which is a life science company. So, you know, and they're, again, they're investing in things that, you know, with potential huge, huge benefits in the future, but don't make any money yet. Um, they own Waymo, which is, you know, potentially the, the, the biggest player in autonomous driving. Again, doesn't make any money, but could really change the world. So, um, you know, we, we really looked at the, the kind of core culture of what we feel Alphabet stands for. We, you know, you go back, you can go and read all the letters. And, you know, we feel amongst the large tech stocks because of what that core business is and these kind of positives that do outweigh the negatives. We've got some negatives, you know, that we don't like the tax aspect of what they do. We don't like... Um, you know, they're, they're, the corporate governance isn't ideal in our perspective, despite you know, the fact that we believe there is a benevolence to the way that the companies run. So we we, we kind of, mm. we will assess these all as an individual company and uh, Alphabet's the one that we think on balance is a sustainable business. Um, but it's, you know, there's no doubt it's probably the company that we get you know, the most questions about within the global fund. But, you know, again, we, we 
have we have a we have a process that we go through, and you know we, we're always happy to defend it in front of clients, which we often do. <laughs> Can I on the corporate governance aspect? This may not be exactly what you're 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 talking about, but uh, well, this is a question for both of you, really. I, I think I'm right in saying Alphabet's founders you know, they might own about ten percent of the company today, but they they control a majority of the shareholder votes via a special share class. Um, what, what, what do you think about that? I mean, th this is becoming an interesting topic in the UK too, because some people think uh, that, uh, you know, if we want to develop a, a listed tech sector in the UK, we, we need more of the, these kinds of uh, structures where the founders retain control. What, what, yeah. what do I for you think? I mean, the, the, the general thing that we, and Simon could draw it specifically about, but, but the general thing we have when we're looking at corporate governance is we, we want to be aware of the risks and any peculiarities or distinctiveness. And then the question we ask is, you know, will this, will this uh, affect us as minority shareholders or do we like the direction uh, that they're taking it in? And specifically, you know, founder-led companies where the founders have a lot of, lot of shares in it, that's... That's the question we have to ask. Yeah. Um, so there isn't a one size fits all for any kind of governance structure. Uh, and there are advantages to that, that founder led structure as well. I don't know, Sam, do you want to say any more about Alphabet situation? Yeah, look, all I'd, all I'd say is in, you know, the, the, the kind of, minor, we like minority shareholders to have influence, but we think the way that Google Alphabet have run their business, they do it because they're trying to look after the long term. So. We believe there's a benevolence to the way they run their business. If we felt that they were trying to, you know, really screw over minority shareholders, you know, we'd probably be less keen to hold the business. Um, but also, yeah. on, remember, it's ESG, environmental, social, and governance. So governance, definitely, we still give it a markdown on, on Alphabet. But the social aspect, we think they're, they're, they're good. You know, they, they treat their people very, very well, um, which is, you know, their key asset for, good, for Alphabet is their people, you know, the engineers. Are really the key asset and they do look after them and from an environmental perspective they're actually really good they're one of the you know they're the biggest buyer of renewable energy in the world alphabet so the way they run you know right. the way that the energy is used within the technology sector is a really important aspect of of the way that the kind of world works and, our, and the way we consume energy within our economy and uh, there's very few better at it at managing this impact than, than alphabet so so it's really managing those three together that's all i kind of wanted to say in terms of the way we approach sustainability of, a, of an individual business okay thanks Pro, co, uh, pros and cons i suppose so the, the funds as we've alluded to have been really strong performers in recent years so uh the sustainable future global growth fund for example 142 percent return in the last five years versus 84 percent for the the msci world index so it's a global markets now that, that's that's also been a period where, when growth stocks which you tend to invest in have, have massively outperformed value stocks um maybe peter if i can ask you J january saw quite a pullback for um or tech stocks particularly in the us and growth stocks are you, are you worried about that continuing and it affecting your funds uh i mean yeah it's human human to worry uh yeah. january has been quite a violent re-rating of, of value stocks um but i, I guess what what uh, gives us confidence in the future is that we have been running these strategies for, for over two decades. And in that period, we have seen episodes like this where uh, 2003, 2009, 2016 um, all come to mind, um, where you get a sort of sharp re-rating of, of value stocks, where perhaps the elastic band has stretched too far for growth. But, but in the long run, you know, 
we we stick to our belief that we've demonstrated over over this time period that the compounding of growth stocks, you know, if you get them right, you know, if you get them wrong, and if they're not they're not growing, then and they're not delivering strong strong returns on that growth, then yeah, it's not going to work. But if you do get the, those ones, you can identify those ones that are going to compound over the next five ten years, then it'll you know, make episodes like this January or last quarter, basically for, from October to through to the end of January, um, look like quite small, uh, small events overall. So yeah, okay. that's how we're viewing it. So you, you think a, a blip in the graph rather than a, a sea change? Yeah, definitely. And we don't, we never to, you know, try to adapt our portfolios to shift to a style, you know, because of a change in, in style, we stick yeah. to companies we like and where they've sold off a lot. Uh, we will look to kind of ro- you know, rotate from those that haven't to to add back to those positions. Yeah. Well, on that note, I mean, Simon, have you have you been bargain hunting or? Um, yeah, I mean, we, we've obviously seen some opportunities within, um, you know, our own portfolio. Um, so so we do do that um, from time to time. We don't we don't trade the portfolio a lot. We try to keep it it's this kind of the patient capital type approach. But yeah, we, we have, um, you know, may, may basically reinvested some 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 money um, a couple of times over the last few months um, in names where we feel that 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 they basically borne the brunt of the sell-off without any real fundamental change to the business. Um, and we also, you know, see opportunities and potentially some names that we also might not have in the portfolio yet, which, um, you know, are valuation levels where, we, you know, we feel that they're, they're, they're more interesting. So, but obviously there's a degree of due diligence that we do on all these names before we invest in them. So, so yeah, it's, it does throw up opportunities, you know, no one, no, no fund manager likes to underperform at any ever. It's not really... It's not how we're built, but um, you know, when you've been doing it for as long as we have, we um, you know, we respect the fact and you know, see the opportunities that are there. And you know, in, in the next kind of twelve months or two years or three years or five years, you know, you often look back at these 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 little um, periods of time as you know, great opportunities for for your for your investors and your portfolio. Yeah. Any any specific areas you you that you think are starting to look attractive? Uh, well, I mean, I think. Obviously, there's lots of areas within things like technology and healthcare that are born the brunt. I mean, I think what's interesting, you know, for us is what we're slightly focusing on is I think that you know unprofitable companies had been you know doing very very well for for a long period of time. Um, they've really borne the main brunt of um, of the sell off. Uh, we're interested in unprofitable companies that within our investment horizon do become profitable. We're really focused on that type of company where the long term profitability and returns of the business are very, very high, but potentially short term, they might be reinvesting or they might be at a slightly earlier stage. And, um, you know, we think that that presents us an opportunity. So, you know, we, we, we respect the fact that, you know, unprofitable companies can't you know, perform forever, but you, we, we focus on those ones that are going from unprofitable, profitable within our five year time horizon. And that's where, you know, we think the real opportunity might come, you know, um, in the next five years. Mm, interesting. And uh, so, yeah, to change tack again, if that's all right. So, so Peter, your, uh, you know, you, your guys' experience and strong record from the fund has won a lot of new customers in recent years. Um, the sustainable investment franchise at Lion Trust has swelled to nearly £15 billion of assets, I think. And three, billion, three years ago, it was more like £3.3 3 So a lot of inflows. Ha- have managing all those inflows challenged your investment process? 
No, no, not really. I mean, we you know, just to, just to kind of characterize on our global equity funds, we start with a minimum market cap of of two billion uh, U.S. dollars, so all the way up to you know, Alphabet. Um, uh, so, so there's ample kind of room in terms of capacity to to kind of grow the strategies, and, and that's where we've seen the strongest growth has been into global equities and our multi-asset funds. Um, yeah, our UK strategies are um, they kind of start a bit smaller, so around about one billion. Uh, I mean, they're 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 kind of fine in terms of uh, growth. You know, we can kind of see see room for them to, to grow, you know, significantly from here. But they're not funds that you could liquidate you know, overnight, um, right. and that's something we make clear to our investors because we have got mid cap holdings in there. And stuff, but but equally, as you'll know, UK UK equities has not been the growth asset of choice, and we see the bulk of the growth of the funds going into continuing to go into global uh, global equities, uh, multi asset, and uh, corporate bond and European equities. Yeah, okay. I mean, my next question was going to be, you know, at what point do you have to think about closing funds or soft closing funds? But it sounds like you, you think you're very far from that point. Yeah, we're very far from that point, and and our view is that we we just always want to make clients aware of you know all the risks around the fund. You know, these are actively managed funds with very high active share. Uh, one of those risks is is you know a liquidity risk, um, you know, which eventually, uh, and so we kind of make them aware of the liquidity characteristics of the portfolios. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, but yeah, so we, we don't really see. The need to, to ever kind of contemplate thinking about closing or soft closing. Sure. Okay. Um, Simon, if I if I can turn back to you, um, what one one well slight surprise last year, given the these other trends we've been talking about and how popular this area has been with investors with investors, was last year you you wanted to launch a Lion Trust ESG investment trust, but but it didn't raise quite enough money to get off the ground. What what went wrong there from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, we, we created a product that we thought was interesting um, to, you know, the closed end market. Um, I think what we kind of found out that was that, that the people who buy closed end products and people who buy open ended products are often the same people. And obviously the success, you know, particularly this is a global product within our, you know, global products in the open ended um, space, as you say, we, you know, we went from you know, 3.3 to 15 and, you know, a large chunk of that growth had come in global. So I think what we found is that, you know, a lot of these investors actually, you know, had, um, you know, products or, or, or had investments within, um, you know, our product range. And we're, we're very, very happy, happy with that. We, we, it was, you know, slightly differentiated, but you know, clearly you can't come up with something completely different. You know, we kind of do what we do and we apply the process within the, um, you know, within that market. We, we kind of did make it a bit more kind of, you know, mid cap. Um, some smaller opportunities but you know I think you know all in all I think that um, you know a, a lot of investors had, had, had said look you know we, we, we love your product but we already have exposure and we're really happy with the product that we have so you know we, we accept that we you know we, we, we tried to create a product that you know assuming there was demand for it there and if, if investors are happy with the products that we have then you know we're, we're you know we're absolutely happy with that and um, yeah yeah and is running an investment trust one day still an ambition? I guess we, I think we've tested the water 
and we're you know we're comfortable sticking with our open-ended funds okay sure and um well if I, we can stay with you peter um what well, one one holding that struck me in your your uk fund was legal in general uh you know the, the massive life insurance company which seems to rather stand out from your your other kind of tech and healthcare holdings and so on what why, why is why is that company a sustainability success story yeah we we sort of are distinctive in our approach and that we do have um sort of financial services companies within our portfolios um mm. we 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 did a piece of work which was looking at what a sustainable economy would consist of and and it's clear you have to have a well functioning financial services company and and the theme which legal in general fits into is this idea of saving for the future mm-hmm. um that that uh, particularly as as you see governments and and businesses rolling back from providing for their employees so you know no no defined benefit pension funds um uh, you know governments reducing the amount of social security around the world so you need you know, uh, you know private companies to come and do this as efficiently as possible um and so legal in general fits that theme around saving saving for future they do it we think in a, in a particularly progressive way and what we particularly like is the way that they they invest in kind of direct assets um so they you know they're building houses in the UK they're investing behind uh, renewable energy smart grids right so so these long lived investments to generate a strong return into the future mm-hmm. um and so that that's why it it fits within this this strategy yeah and what one one more 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 question on the UK holdings uh if that's right so i think it will be of interest to our audience um i saw you've got some smaller take stakes in a, a couple of investment trusts yourself so biotech investment vehicles Syncona, i think also venture capital fund molten ventures which which used to be called draper esprit do you, what is it about the the these uk investment trusts which makes them a kind of nice source of sustainable ideas well we don't blanket like uk investment trusts what we're looking for is is to invest behind something that that we couldn't get access to in another way and so mm-hmm. just just to take the Syncona example um and we believe the next decade is just going to be so exciting for for biotech I and mean, we we saw in the speed with which the vaccines were developed just how uh, revolutionary the technologies have, have become yeah um, uh, syncona is uh, you know a backer of businesses that are developing gene therapies and gene therapies have the capability to do a, a sort of one and done solution to to kind of cancers to inherited diseases like cystic fibrosis and for other other sort of illnesses like parkinsons where there's a, a sort of faulty gene mm. um, a fault uh, and they have a phenomenal track record of developing these um and and we really back it um and if they have expertise you know way beyond what we could we could deliver in finding those smaller companies backing them uh, to become successes in the future Okay. So um so it sounds a bit like 3i in a way that this is another way for you to get access to exciting trends in private markets. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But the really important thing is to make sure that the people doing the investment are are aligned with what we're trying to achieve, which is to invest in companies which are helping make our you know world cleaner, healthier, safer. So yeah. Uh, and we see that as absolutely the mission of Syncona. 
Okay, thanks. Now, uh, Simon, I, I'd like to circle back to one more sustainability question before you end. Um, you know, we're, we're discussing the kind of companies you hold. There, there, there's lots of, uh, I guess, what we might call asset-light businesses in areas like, well, biotech or, or indeed software, payments. To steal someone else's phrase, they tend to be virtual as well as virtuous. Um, what we don't really have are, are the likes of travel, leisure, retail, the kind of companies which might employ a lot of people and also have really struggled during the pandemic. Long term, are you, are you worried about some kind of conflict between the rise of ESG investing and, uh, well, I guess the, the labour market? Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't, I don't think that we specifically try to target companies that, that have kind of less people. I, I mean, I think what we really try to focus on is, um, obviously, we look, we're looking for those companies whose products are helping to kind of achieve the aims that, that, that we look for. And But we, we also kind of focus a lot on, um, you know, how a company treats the staff. So in that S, that social kind of um, part of, of the focus, we you know, we feel that most, for most companies, their people are, are, are their most important asset. So, um you know, whilst you're right, we do kind of not not invest in in you know areas such as travel and leisure. Um, I mean, there there are it's, it's not all kind of software and technology. I did you know earlier I spoke about um, the breadth by which we, um, we we invest. We invest in companies like you know Compass Group, for instance, which is a caterer. They employ you know thousands and thousands of people. So, um, sure, yeah. so so um, you know, I don't think that that that. You know, there really is a focus away from you know companies that employ people, but more a focus on you know making sure that employees are you know being treated properly, that, that you know that that the asset that they're treated as um, you know important assets, and that's a really important you know aspect of you know helping to um, you know create a more sustainable economy as well. Yeah, and if I could just just add on to that, because one of the, one of the other aspects we haven't actually spoken much about, but is is the way we engage with businesses and oh, yeah. our relationship as as sort of owners of, of part of the business. And I was having a conversation with you know, one of our UK companies with the CEO um, of the company, and I was asking him about his experience because we've been kind of engaging with them to do more on uh, environment and with their employees. And what sector is the company in? If, if uh, in, in industrial. Okay. Uh, industrial company and um, uh, and it was just I mean it doesn't really matter the name of the company but just to sort of characterize it what he said was he said well I guess initially you know I was fine with the environmental stuff I thought maybe the engaging with the people wouldn't be so uh, uh, you know useful but actually actually the more that they did it the more they understood that this was this was the path to, to success uh, and the, by training and developing their people and getting them on board with the mission of the business, that the, you end up with a, a totally different feel to the business. And his view was that this was going to be the the kind of, um, you know, back in the 90s, you had all these management sort of Six Sigma and lean manufacturing and all of these, the, the, the kind of uh, how you work with your employees is going to be that equivalent uh, for Kind of the coming decades in terms of defining what a successful business is. Okay, so particularly in in this era of very low uh, you know, availability of skilled skilled staff that you're seeing you know, across across the world. Yeah. Okay. Well, on that note, I think that that's all we've got time for today. So, uh, yeah. Well, last thing to say from me is, well, Peter, Simon, thank thanks so much for coming on, and, and yeah, really interesting to hear more about what you do. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Jeremy.
Fantastic. Thank you. And last thing to say, I suppose, is thank you very much, everyone at home, for, for listening today. And please look out uh, for more Funds Fanatic Show podcasts soon. Thank <laughs> you.